At this time, I want to release the, the kids for Kids Connection. If they, uh, any kids that are still here uh, for that, you're free to go at this time. Uh, and as we prepare for our time in God's Word, would you please uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have given us your word as sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray that it would pierce into our hearts today. I pray that it would do that, that work of the, the surgeon's scalpel that, that cuts away those, those dead places in our lives, that, that makes the cuts that are necessary in our lives, that there can be healing, that as your word pierces into our hearts, that our hearts are opened to receive more of the work of Christ into us that we may experience more of true life. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 verses 25 through 37 and if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's Bibles available in the chairs in front of you, and you can follow along with us. We'll be on page 869, page 869. As a church, we have three core values, the value of gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we looked last week at that as the greatest treasure that anyone could ever find, a treasure so great you would gladly give up anything to have it. The second value we have is people, and we want to be looking more about what it means for us to value people this morning, and then we'll conclude next week by looking at mission, and what does it mean to be on mission with Jesus. So, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is probably the most famous parable that Jesus told. If you were to to ask uh, any random person, what? you know a parable that Jesus told, they, they, might, they could likely come up with the Good Samaritan. And yet one of the things that, that is so ironic about this parable, though it's the best known parable, when it really comes down to it, it may be the hardest parable to actually apply. Princeton Theological Seminary uh, did an experiment where they gathered a group of seminary students and they assigned them all a passage of Scripture to preach. And, and these students didn't know, uh, it was a blind uh, assignment. They didn't know what anybody else had been given. Well, half of the students were assigned to preach on the Good Samaritan. And, and then half were given other random passages to preach on. Well, they, they were told they would have a few minutes to, to prepare. And then they were told they would be sent across campus to another location where they would actually deliver the sermon. As these students, one by one, left and went to uh, across campus, they all encountered a man who was doubled over with pain uh, on a bench uh, along the way. They followed up with these students afterwards to, to find out how many of them had stopped to help the, the man who was in pain. Well, what would you think happened? Do you think that, that the students that have been assigned the parable of the Good Samaritan were more likely to stop and help the guy who was uh, doubled over with pain on the, on the bench? That's what I thought. That didn't happen. The students who had been assigned to study the parable of the Good Samaritan were no more likely to stop and help the guy in need than those who'd been given a random passage. You see, there is more that has to happen in our lives than simply knowing what needs to be done. More, before we know what we need to do, something has to be done in us. The, the, this parable is really given to us to teach us what does it mean for us to be the kind of people that respond in a time of need. This parable is really given to us to teach us what does it mean for us to be the people of God. And I want to show you five different uh, things that that we get out of this passage, five different principles on what it means for us to live as the people of God. First of all, the people of God are defined by the Word of God. What does it mean when we talk about the people of God? How is it that that we know who are the people of God? That is going to be defined by God's word. And we see that happening, first of all, in this conversation between Jesus and this lawyer as it begins in verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This uh, was a man whose job was to study Uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. His job was to to study particularly how the the law of Moses was to be applied to a whole variety of cases uh, in life. And so he would study uh, the law and and render a verdict. This is how uh, God's law is to be applied in this situation. So he has this question that he's bringing to Jesus. 
And the question is, how do I inherit eternal life? That the Jews at that time believed that at the end of history, that the Lord would resurrect all those who are righteous and they would enter into a kingdom of blessing that was ruled by the Lord's Messiah. And so this man is asking, how can I make sure I'm part of that group? How can I make sure I'm part of the people of God? And notice Jesus doesn't answer him directly. What does Jesus do? Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? Jesus is, at this moment, he's, he's pointing this man back to Scripture. He is saying, if you want to know how you are part of the people of God, you need to look back at the Word of God. And so what, Jesus follows it up with a second question. And this second question reinforces the first question as it says, how do you read it? He's not asking this man, how do you interpret God's law? What's your opinion? He's saying, what is it that God himself has actually given you to say? And so the man responds in verse 26, or in verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. What's he doing? He's quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 began with this pronouncement, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what was it that was to be the right response of God's people to the fact that He was Israel's Lord? The right response is that they are to love Him with everything that they are. This is the response to the sovereignty of God over Israel. But then the man continues. He brings in another passage because he says, And your neighbor meaning love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting here from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And in Leviticus chapter 19, it opens with the Lord declaring to Israel, I am the Lord your God, you shall be holy as I am holy. So again, what was the response to the character of God? It was to love your neighbor as yourself. That this is the response of demonstrating that you you are now one of God's people that you love your neighbor. So Jesus commends his answer. Jesus said to him, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. We have to pay attention to what Jesus said here. Jesus is saying, do you want to be part of the people of God? The word of God defines what that is. It's those who are completely devoted to God with everything that they are. That there is no part of your life that you've held back from God. There is no part of your life that, that you are not pressing into God and, and giving Him your total love. And then, those that, that are really have given themselves fully to God and love Him with everything they are, show an equal love for others. That they do not hold back in love for other people. Wow. Okay. If we really sit under God's definition of his people, just the natural response is that who can live up to that? Who, who can live up to the standard of, of loving God totally and not holding anything back from God? Who can live up to the standard of, of, of loving a neighbor completely and, and not withholding any love from a neighbor? That when we really sit under God's definition of what it means to be his people, we're we're at a fork in the road. How will you respond? 
Well, we see how this lawyer responds in verse 29. It says, but he, desiring to justify himself. See, the, the people of God must recognize the impulse to justify ourselves. That we have this natural inborn desire to justify ourselves. What does it mean to justify? To justify means to be declared right. And this man had heard the pronouncement of, of this is what God requires, but he wants to be his own judge. He wants to say, I can be the judge of myself. He doesn't need God to justify him. I can justify myself, thank you very much. This is an impulse that we all share. We all have this desire to say, you know what, I'm doing just fine. Maybe you felt that. That you you hear God's word and, and you're looking for it. Is there an out? See, that's why he asks this question of, who is my neighbor? Because if he can limit who his neighbor is, then, then he can say, you know what, I, I can define this in a way that's manageable for me. I find this to be a, a revealing question. That if, if you had to stand before God today, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If that's the kind of question that, that scares you, if that's the kind of question that that causes you to to start to reflect on what you have done, then you're probably trying to justify yourself. And this is exactly why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus did not give us the parable of the Good Samaritan so that we could justify ourselves. Jesus gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan because he wants to confront our self-justification. And he wants to completely undo it. So I want to show you how Jesus does this. It's beautiful. Because Jesus starts by telling this story of this man who goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. The distance from Jerusalem to Jericho would be like going from here to Hennessy. But... uh, completely different terrain because Jerusalem was about 2,600 feet above sea level and Hennessy, or uh, not Hennessy, <laughs> Jericho, I really want to go to Hennessy, Jericho is about 825 feet below sea level. So this huge uh, change in elevation. But to get from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's not this straight shot. It's this winding road that goes through many twists and turns through these rocky ravines. And Along the way, there's all these caves that are are scattered throughout the rocks. And it's just natural hideouts for uh, for bandits. And this became a a dangerous highway. Many single travelers had found themselves in the same fate as this man. Jesus said he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. A man lying beside the road stripped and helpless, having no hope. But by chance, a priest passes by. Now, the grammar of this is very clear. 
The priest is going the same direction as this man. He too is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Levite, who we're going to meet here in a minute, he's also going the same direction from Jerusalem to Jericho. These men uh, have no excuse for why they they should uh, pass by the man who's injured. There's no sense that that they're on their way to, to take care of duties at the temple. They're headed away from Jerusalem. Their work is complete. And yet... What happens? The priest sees the man and passes by on the other side. The Levite sees the man and passes by on the other side. Here are are two men who are experts in the law. You realize that that these are, are two men who were responsible for leading the worship of the people. It was the priests who went before the people to God and, and they were the ones that offered the sacrifices so that the people could be acceptable to God. Not the Levites, they weren't priests, but they helped the priests in carrying out the duties of the temple. The, the Levites were responsible for helping make sure that the temple remained pure. And Jesus is saying, here are two men who embody the law, and yet they didn't help the man who was in need. Jesus here is, is giving this, this declaration that, that the law can tell you what to do, but the law can give you no ability to actually accomplish it. The Apostle Paul experienced this in his own life. In, uh, in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. See, the devastating pronouncement here is that the people of God cannot be shaped by moral regulation. The people of God cannot be shaped by moral regulation. We don't need to have better rules. We don't need to have better accountability. We don't need to have better motivation. There has to be a deeper change. Because we cannot be the people of God who are simply shaped by moral regulation. It it won't work. The law can tell us what to do, but it is unable to give us the ability to complete it. And and Jesus is is just exposing the inadequacy here of, of the lawyer's question. When the lawyer is questioning, who is my neighbor? Jesus is starting to show that your, your question is so inadequate. You've failed to grasp the heart of what's most important. But how's Jesus going to do this? The answer is it's right around the bend. So far, a priest and a Levite have, have failed to help this man who's in this desperate situation. But then Jesus introduces a third character. Verse 33, a Samaritan. Now, at this point, Jesus' audience would have been expecting a fellow Israelite to enter onto the scene. And then the would-be hero is a Samaritan? Are you serious, Jesus? A Samaritan? The, The Samaritans lived in Palestine, but they had their own temple, and they had their own interpretation of the law that they followed. That generations earlier, the Assyrians had come in and a group of Jews had had intermarried with the Assyrians. And so these were the Samaritans who were now despised. 
They were unclean. They were half-breeds. Jesus, that's the hero of the story. To maybe kind of help us feel kind of maybe the emotional reaction that this audience would have had. It's not a perfect parallel, but, but imagine here Jesus is telling us this story today and he's talking about a pastor and a deacon and then a, a Muslim imam. Really, Jesus? A Muslim? Jesus, you're going to make a Muslim the hero of the story? A Samaritan Jesus? And what's Jesus doing? He's just laying open the heart to say, the problem is not with the law. The problem is with your own heart. What what is it that makes the Samaritan different? It's it's nothing that he sees in the man. You see, this is the part that's so interesting is as we have, the, the main character of this story is a man who's injured and yet he's the man we know the least about. We know about the priest, we know about the Levite, we know about the Samaritan. We know nothing about this man who was injured. We don't know his social status. We don't know his spiritual status. We don't know his ethnic status. We know nothing about him. And yet this Samaritan is moved, not by anything he sees in the man, but by compassion in his own heart. And this is Jesus' way of demonstrating for us that the people of God are those who demonstrate compassionate, self-giving action regardless of status. Who is it that that are are the people of God? What is the distinguishing mark of of their love? It's that the people of God demonstrate compassionate, self-giving action regardless of status. Verse 33, the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and bound up his wounds. Making bandages likely out of his own clothing. Likely ripping up his own clothing in order to be able to bind up this man's wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. The oil would have been to soothe the wounds. The wine would have been to disinfect them. <clears throat> then he set him on his own animal. Putting this, this man on his own donkey, this Samaritan now walks the rest of the way. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. In the book of Luke, we we encounter an inn a couple of different times. There's two different words for inn. One of the the words for inn is uh, just a a very basic uh, guest room. And then there's another word for inn that describes something that's more of an upscale establishment. Something higher end. And that's the inn that the Samaritan takes him to. And he, he doesn't just leave him at the inn. He stays with him through the night. And then on, in the next morning as the Samaritan goes to leave, his compassionate self-giving action is not finished because he takes out two denarii and he gives them to the innkeeper. A denarius would have been one day's wage. And in the local economy, this Samaritan gives the, man enough, gives the innkeeper enough money to take care of the man for about three weeks. But even that is not the end of his care because he says to the innkeeper, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He writes a blank check. Whatever he needs, I'll take care of. 
Notice here that the Samaritan is showing a compassionate care that's really a community project. He's involving others. He's getting others involved in the process. I think sometimes we don't reach out to those who are in need because we feel like I, this is more than I can do alone. I, I can't handle this on my own. I, I don't have all the, the skills. I, I don't have all the abilities. This is, is more than I can do. A few weeks ago, uh, my family and I were, we were having a day together as a family. We, uh, we were getting ready to, to pull out onto Van Buren when all of a sudden we saw this tire just go rolling by. And we just all like, what just happened? And so we, we followed the, the tire. We, we, we grabbed it and we, we went back up Van Buren to now to see uh, where did this tire come from. And we, we saw this... Uh, this pickup that was pulling a trailer, and the trailer had lost its wheel. Well, I'm standing there with this, this wheel, and, and I go to think we're going to put it back on the trailer. Oh, no, that's not going to work because the, the lugs have been completely sheared off. I'm a pastor. What do I know about putting a wheel back on a trailer that, that has no more lugs on it? And so I'm just standing there, and I'm just kind of looking around. And I, I, I'm trying to strike up a conversation with the guy, and, and he's not from here. And so I go to my, uh, my car, and, and I get out the jack, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, I just start jacking up this trailer, thinking, well, maybe something will come to me next. Something didn't come to me next. Someone came to me next. And what happened is there started being other people that started stopping. And, and before we knew it, there was somebody that had the exact expertise that we needed. We were able to get this trailer fixed, got a, ended up needing a new hub. We got that on, and we got this guy back on the road uh, headed up to Kansas. And you know, I wasn't the hero that day. There was another guy that day. His name was David. He was the real hero. But I stopped. And I think sometimes that's all you need to do. Stop. You see, when, when we move out of compassion, God's able to use us. And see, what this really shows us is that the people of God are, are those that have a transformed identity. See, Jesus changes the question here. The man had originally asked, who is my neighbor? And what does Jesus say in verse 36? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? I was challenged by the way uh, John Piper framed this when he said, Jesus changes the question from what status of people are worthy of my love to how can I become the kind of person whose compassion disregards status? How can I become the kind of person whose compassion doesn't take into any account the status of the person in need? You know, this, this story of the Good Samaritan is not given to us primarily to get us to do something. That's there for sure because Jesus says 
in verse 36, you go and do likewise. But you see, that's never going to happen unless there's an internal transformation. There has to be a change of heart before there's ever going to be a lasting change of action. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. How is Jesus going to be taken up? Jesus is going to be taken up because he is going to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, and then he's going to be raised again on the third day. It's in Jesus' death and resurrection that he's taken up into heaven and he is seated at God's right hand. It's in this journey of Jesus going to Jerusalem that he has this conversation with this lawyer. The parable of the Good Samaritan happens in the shadow of the cross because it's this encounter with this lawyer that we are confronted with the fact that we have not loved God with everything that we have and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. but there is one who has. Jesus has perfectly obeyed the law of God. Jesus has perfectly loved God with everything that he has and Jesus has perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. That Jesus has fulfilled the law where we have failed. And then Jesus went to the cross to take the punishment that we deserved for failing to keep God's law. You see, we are the ones who are alongside the road, beaten and bloodied by our sin, helpless to save ourselves. And Jesus was the one, despised and rejected by his people, who took our place, who didn't pay for our care with money, but paid for our salvation with his life. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And it's when we receive Jesus and we trust Him as our Savior that we are able to experience the transformation that empowers us to show the compassionate, self-giving action to others regardless of status. See, we have an opportunity as a church on September 30th to come alongside some neighbors in our community. We're going to partner with Forgotten Ministries to, to paint a house for a family in need. You know, we, we're not looking for anyone to do it all. We're looking for a lot of people to do a little something. On that day, would you be part of a team that would gather from 8 to noon and help do the prep work, help us scrape and get the house ready to paint? Maybe you would be part of a team that would come from 8 to noon and help put a fresh coat of paint on the house. And then... We're going to celebrate at the end of that with a, a community cookout. We need people who will come and, and just help prepare the food and serve as a way of being able to explain the why. Why we've done what we've done. What has moved us to come in, a group of strangers, to, to paint a house for someone? How can we as a church say, this is what it looks like the, for the people of God to show compassionate, self-giving action to those in need regardless of status? And maybe you're not available to help us on that day, but you could still be a part of the project by praying, praying as we prepare and praying on that day as we work. This is a, a need that ha has come up that wasn't part of our budget when we put together our budget at the beginning of the year. And so we're going to need people who would say, you know what, I, I can help out. 
I can help pay for the supplies that are needed to make this happen. It's estimated that we need about $500 to be able to accomplish this project. Maybe you'd say, I, I'd be willing to give above and beyond my regular giving to help demonstrate compassion to a family in need in our community. Is it, the call uh, of the Good Samaritan is, is a call to show the compassionate love of Christ to those who are in need. But the way that we experience the love of the Good Samaritan is when the spirit of the Good Samaritan lives in us. May we be the people that have recognized our need and experienced the compassion of Christ, that we have been transformed to not ask who is my neighbor, but what kind of neighbor am I? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to, to find excuses to justify ourselves. It's easy for us to go through life and see people in need and, and pass by on the other side. But I pray that we would be filled with the compassion of Christ. That we would be the people who demonstrate compassionate self-giving action not because of anything that we see in others, not because of any goodness in ourselves, but because we are empowered by Jesus and his compassion for us. In Jesus' name.